Amen. Amen. Not about you, but talk about an understatement. Lord, I need you. Oh my gosh. I'm like a, I'm like a deer panting for streams of water. I, I need him so desperately. You know, this week I, I came across the following familiar quote from John 10.10 as I was reading an article, and the quote will appear up on the screen. You probably heard it before. It's Jesus saying that I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Yes, full life, uh, uh, abundant life. That, that's why Jesus put on flesh. That's why he, he hung on a cross. And that's why he, he rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. And, and that is some seriously good news. Amen? Amen. I mean, that, that's the kind of news that you want to think about every day. I mean, seriously, that's the kind of news that, that you want to put both hands around and claim that Jesus has come so that you could have life, abundant life, in all its fullness. Get it? Good. But listen, that, that's not the whole verse, is it? And did you notice that there's three dots uh, before that quote? And anybody remember back from those days of grammar, what, what word is used for those three dots? Remember what it's called? Ellipsis. ellipsis. Good job. Well done. And listen, whenever you see an ellipsis, that means that there are certain words or a number of words that have been left out that should not affect necessarily the meaning of what you're reading. But listen, in this case, there's some pretty significant words that are omitted from the verse. Words that explain why, why so many people, maybe you're one of them, are not fully experiencing the abundant life that Jesus won for you. There's a question in your notes. You can circle it, at least in your heart. Be honest with yourself. You know, are, are you experiencing the full and abundant life? Are you? Now, here's an entire verse. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I get it. I, I know that, that most of us would rather think about the fact that, and we would rather not think about the fact that we have an enemy. And that this enemy has only one goal for our lives, to kill, steal, and destroy the life that Jesus has for us. And from where I stand, I think he's doing a pretty solid job of it. And sure, it's more warm and fuzzy to think about an abundant life, a full life. I mean, who doesn't want to live a life that's full of butterflies and rainbows? I mean, who doesn't want to live in a land that's flowing with milk and honey? However, you need to understand that your abundant life has a very real and a very powerful opponent. And listen, whether you acknowledge it or not, you are in a war. You are in a battle. You are in a struggle against principalities and powers of this dark, evil world. A war for your soul, a war for your life. And, and, and here's the deal. If in your heart you cannot say that I am living and experiencing the full and abundant life, that means that in your life he is winning. Get it? Good, but not so good, right? Bottom line, if we don't understand the reality that there's an enemy who wants to destroy our abundant life, if we don't understand the full truth, then we're going to be in a lot of trouble. We're going to be walking on dangerous ground because we'll be living like, hey, it's vacation time. When the reality is there's a battle going on. Uh, there's, a, there's a war going on. 
Yes, the truth is that Jesus has come so we could experience an abundant life. And the enemy would, would like for you just to kind of think about that and forget about the rest. I mean, he would love to be just replaced by three little dots. And for you not to be aware of his schemes, for you not to be aware that he is waging war against you, that he's waging war against your family, against your soul. And so in this series, Flip the Script, what we're doing is we're identifying Satan's primary weapon, that he is a liar. Turn to the person you're right left and say, he's a liar. He's a liar. Uh, we're talking about Satan, right? <laughs> I mean, everything he says is a lie. And John Chapter 8, Jesus says that lying is his native tongue, that it's his first language. Everything he says, everything that comes out of his mouth and whispers into your heart and ears is deception and lies. He, he twists the truth. He's a master manipulator. And so our objective in this series is to identify some of his most effective lies, lies that he's convinced many people to believe. And, and maybe you've believed them because it's something you were taught. Early on, you just accepted it. Maybe you believe these lies because everybody else believed these lies. You don't want to be the only one who doesn't believe these lies. Maybe you believe these lies because he's been very proficient at, in your life at using your critics, your circumstances, and your comparisons to fan the flames of those lies. But whatever the reason, the truth is, as we said throughout this series, the lies we believe have the power to determine the story that we live. I mean, let that sink in. And far too many people in this room are living out the wrong story. Because they accepted his lies for the truth. They're reading from the wrong script. And so the enemy, he's always handing us a script. I mean, every day he hands you a script to read. And the script is just full of lies about you about your identity, about your value, about your worth, about God, about how God feels about you. Just a mountain full of lies. And if you believe the lies, they have the power of truth in your life. So maybe, you know, maybe you believe the lie that God doesn't care about you. And because you don't think God really cares about you, you've allowed your heart to become hard towards him. You become bitter, you become angry towards God because maybe during a time in your life, God wasn't there when you thought he should have been. Or maybe... You believe the lies that God's not real, that Jesus and Christianity is not true, that the Bible is not God's word. It's just man's delusion. So you're full of doubts, full of fears, full of confusion, full of pointlessness, and you're just drifting. Or maybe you believe the lies that you'll never change because the enemy is going to tell you that lie all day long. Can't change. Too late for you. You're too much of a mess. It's always going to be this way. And listen, if you believe that lie, then you're not even going to try to change, are you? In fact, you'll probably go deeper into your addiction, deeper into your sin, and things are only going to get worse. Maybe you believe, believe the lie that God just wants you to be happy. Happy, happy, happy. And, and maybe you believe that lie, and because you believe that lie, as long as I'm happy, God's okay with what I do and who I am. And that's caused you not to fight for some things that you needed to fight for. It's caused you to, to not struggle for some things that you should have struggled with because it didn't make you happy. Or maybe you believe the lie that money and worldly success would make you happy. 
And so you just sacrifice a tremendous amount in hopes that a little bit more money, a little bit more success and applause would make you happy, and it's not really working out so good. Or maybe you believe the lie that you'll never be good enough. That, that, you know, that your mistakes can never really be forgiving or, or redeemed. And as a result, you live with guilt. You know, and every day, the enemy tells you, you've blown it. It's too late for you. You can't be forgiven, not after what you've done. And you keep reading from that script, and you just live with this weight of guilt. And this guilt surfaces in anger in your life. Anger towards yourself, and, and your anger just kind of spills out onto every one of your relationships. Again, as we said throughout this series, whenever you believe a lie, it has tremendous implications for our lives. And so in this series, our objective is to expose the lie and then embrace the truth that sets us free. In week one, we looked at the lie of your enemy, you know, the one who wants to kill, still destroy the life that God has for you. You don't have what it takes. You're not good enough. You're not talented enough. (laughs) You're definitely not smart enough. You're not capable enough. You don't have what it takes. And and, and on September the 17th, we flipped the script on that lie with the truth of God found in Ephesians chapter 2.10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works with God prepared in advance for us to do. Understand, in him you do have what it takes. So the next time the enemy whispers in your heart, you don't have what it takes, you say, yeah, that may be true, but in Christ Jesus, I do have what it takes. I want us to say three times, out loud, on the count of three, I have what it takes. One, two, three. I have what it takes. I have what it takes. I have what it takes. And and last week we unpacked another favorite lie of our enemy, a lie designed to keep you on the sidelines. You know, you you, you see something that's not right, or you see something where, where you think that maybe you could help him make a difference, and all of a sudden he whispers in your head, you really can't make a difference. I understand your enemy loves injustice. He loves to see hurting people, broken people, captive people, hopeless people. He loves to see them stay that way. He, he loves to see human needs go unmet. And, and if he can get you to believe this lie, if he can get you to stay on the sidelines, then you'll be like, you know, why even bother? The need's too great, the task too large, the obstacle's too many, and my ability is too insignificant. But last Sunday, we flipped the script on that lie with the truth of Scripture that in Christ, you are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. And listen, light always makes a difference. Amen? Amen. And so three times on the count of three, we're going to say, and you think of some need. Think of something that God has put on your heart, right? You know, where you can make a difference, where you're like, well, maybe I really can't, so I won't even try. And we're going to say it three times. One, two, three. Okay, you want me to go with you? I can make a difference. All right, you're all good. You're all good. One, two, three. I can make a difference. I can make a difference. I can make a difference. It's true. You see, the series is about letting 
the Word of God, letting Scripture become the script for your life. Remember, Scripture is your script cure. It's the cure that overcomes the lies of the enemy. And I hope you're reading it, all right? If you've done a bad job of reading the Bible so far this year, it's the fourth quarter begins the day. And as we all know from last year's Super Bowl, fourth quarters matter. You know, can I get amen for the Patriots? All right, okay. And I'm just saying, we have a faith comes from hearing. I want to encourage you. Hey, today, this week, start reading the script every day and let that be the cure for the enemy's lies. This week, we're going to expose the truth Expose the lie, rather, that you can handle this on your own. And the enemy would love for you to believe this lie. It's a lie that refuses to ask for help when you need it. It's a lie that's desperate to hide mistakes when the only hope of healing and recovery is actually revealing those mistakes. It's the, the lie that causes us not to admit our faults, not to admit that we are incapable, not to admit that, hey, you know what, this is just too big for me. Have you ever believed the lie? that you can handle this on your own? As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working out for you, right? And you know, I'm convinced that everybody pretty much has a this in their life. Has a this that they've tried or they're trying to handle on their own. I don't know, maybe, maybe your this is a broken or struggling marriage. Things aren't going well, they haven't gone well for a long time, and you're fearful and only get worse. Maybe your this is an addiction. I mean, alcohol, drugs, pornography, spending, or need to, a, a craving for the praise and applause of people has had its grip on you for years. I don't know, maybe your this is a problem at work, maybe it's a problem at school. Maybe your this is rebellious kids or exasperating parents. Maybe your this is this constantly reoccurring depression that you can't seem to push through. Maybe your this is collapsing finances, a health issue. Maybe your maybe your this is a is a secret sin you want no one to know about. Maybe it's a it's a deep hurt, or maybe your this is salvation. Thinking that somehow that you have to work for, deserve, or earn your own salvation. But listen, whatever your this happens to be, the enemy's lies and whispers are all pretty much the same. You don't need any help. You don't need any help with this. Don't tell anybody about this. Don't let anybody know about your struggles or this situation you're in. I mean, they're going to think that you're weak. They're going to know that you're messed up. They're going to know that you're not perfect. They're going to know that you can't handle this. They're going to know that you can't carry your own weight. Besides, people have enough problems of their own. They don't need to be burdened with your problems. So give it another week or month or another year or two. Yeah, it's best you handle this on your own. Besides, no one would really care anyway. I mean, God doesn't really care. I mean, do you think your little problem with all the big problems in the world really matters to God? And besides, you don't need any help anyway because you can handle this on your own. You got this, buddy, he says, as you're being crushed under a heavy and unrelenting load. Now, this particular lie is easy for us to believe in Western culture. 
right? Because we put a very high premium on the idea of independence, self-sufficiency. We value self-starters. We value self-sustainers. It, it marks our culture. It, it marks us. I mean, we, we are resume builders, and we're taught from an early age that, you know, that you, you take your achievements and you put them in a case for everybody to look at, and, and you take your accomplishments and, and you frame them and hang them on a wall. And in fact, it seems to be part of our, of our fallen nature. There's just something within us that really wants to believe this lie that we can handle things on our own. I mean, think about some of the first words, that first sentence that, that children will form. By myself. By myself. I mean, even if they can't do by themselves, you know, I have a grandson, like Micah do, right? He loves to make fruities, which are smoothies, you know, and if you start, they start, no, Micah do, Micah do, Micah do. Do myself, do myself. It seems to be part of our nature. And so the Bible gives some examples of kind of what happens when, when we buy into this idea that we need any help. There's one in Genesis 16, that's about Abraham and Sarah. They're told they're going to have a son that will be the beginning of a great nation, but Sarah's past the age of bearing children, and so some time passes, and she starts thinking that God probably needs her help. And so she decides she's going to, she's going to take things into her own hands, and, and here's the plan she comes up with in Genesis 16, verse 2. She says to her husband, hey, you see my slave girl? I, I want you to sleep with her, and, and I will build a family up through her. Yeah, that young woman over there, go sleep with her, have a child with her, and maybe that's the way we should do things. Then eventually Sarah has a child, and, and, and things just become a lot of drama and conflict, as you might imagine. And even today, thousands of years later, much of the conflict between Muslims and Christians and Muslims and Jews can all be traced back to Abraham and Sarah deciding we can handle this ourselves. We don't need God's help. We got this. Oh, do you? Another example is in 1 Samuel 13. You know, it looks like Saul has a really great opportunity to attack his enemy, the Philistines. But, but the window is starting to close, and he's waiting for Samuel, the priest, to come and to offer sacrifices and to ask for God's help. But it seems like Samuel, he's kind of late, right? He's looking at, I don't know, is he even going to show up? And, and so Saul decides to take things into his own hands and not wait for Samuel. He decided to do it himself. If you know the story, this is pretty much the end for Saul. As God lets Saul know through Samuel that because of his defined act of independence, of not asking God for help, that he's going to lose the kingdom. And that God's going to take it and give it to somebody else that's after his own heart. Even in the New Testament, you see the... This lie played out in the false teachers and Judaizers. You see, one of the primary lies of these false teachers went like this, that Jesus is good, but he's not good enough. So you need to do some of it yourself. You need to, and if you work hard enough, and if you follow our, our rules good enough, it's this idea that Jesus is nice, but he is not quite enough. So don't put your full trust in him. You also got to put some trust in your own works, in your own actions, your own efforts. And so the enemy tells us, this lie that you can handle this on your own. You can handle this, your relational problems, your addiction, your struggles, your depression, even your salvation on your own. Uh, because he knows that if he can get us to bind to this lie for, you know, long enough, everything's going to come to a crashing destruction. Crashing down like a house built on sand. This brings us to the first point in your notes. 
the consequence of believing these lies. Number one, it feeds our pride. Pretty obvious, right? I don't need anyone or anything else. Bible says a lot about pride. Most of it's not so good. Proverbs 11.2, pride leads to what? Disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Pride, I can handle this on my own, goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. James 4.6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The second consequence we bind to this lie that we can do things on our own is that it minimizes legitimate problems and legitimate challenges. And so we look at things that are difficult. We say, you know, that's, that's nothing I can't handle. You see, in order for me to buy into the lie that I can handle this on my own requires me to look at my this that needs handling through an unrealistic and simple and, and blindly optimistic worldview. Because the only way I can buy into this lie is if I look at these challenges and struggles and these problems and say, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal. I, I, I got this. And believe me when I tell you, the enemy wants you to think that way. He wants you to look at your drinking problem, your spending problem, your anger problem, your bitterness problem, your marriage problem, your lust problem, or your depression problem, and for you to think, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, it is a big deal. And you don't got this. Next, when we buy into this lie, it, it grows guilt. Because a lot of us have this mentality, if I made a mess, I need to clean it up. And then, when you make a mess, and you can't clean it up, you just are carrying around this heavy weight. And the enemy wakes you up in the morning and tells you, you can do it. You can handle this. You can clean up this mess. And then when you can't, he tells you, hey, what's wrong with you? How come you couldn't clean up this mess? And you just walk around this weight of guilt just hanging over your life. Next, believe in this lie, it magnifies the destruction. Such that when things crash and burn, the destruction is massive. And the fallout seems to be flowing everywhere and onto everyone I can't believe I let things get so bad. Understand, when you believe the lie, I can handle this on my own, and you keep believing it, the longer you believe it, the worse things are going to get in a lot of these situations. You can hear doctors talk about that all the time, right? A patient comes in with a very bad diagnosis, and he says, what? If only you came in what? Sooner. If you you came when the symptoms just started, but you waited so long that now there's pretty much nothing else that we can do. The devastation is coming and can't be stopped. Another consequence of believing this lie is it robs relationships of depth. See, see if you're not vulnerable enough to admit that you need help, then guess what? Nobody really knows you. They don't know you. Listen, I can tell you from personal experience that I have robbed myself at times from having more significant or deeper relationship because of my I can handle this on my own mentality. And instead of trusting someone enough to be vulnerable and to say, hey, I, I need help, I keep it to myself, thinking, I got it. I got it. It's good. It's good. I don't want anybody else to worry. I, 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 they have enough. But you know what, if we allow ourselves to be honest and open and vulnerable with someone, you know what happens? That, that person feels valued. 
and you feel like you're known. You know what that creates? That creates relationships that are a lot deeper. Get it? One final consequence is that it fuels hypocrisy. You see, since we can't let anybody know that things, how broken things really are, we just live with this facade. You ever do that? Put a mask on, right? Put up a good front. You know, so everybody thinks, hey, that you're handling all this stuff. I can't believe you're handling everything so good. Well, you know, I'm not. (laughs) I'm dying on the inside. But we don't want people to know we're broken. We don't want people to know things are broken. So we live hypocritically, which is never a good, fun, freeing, or energizing way to live. You see, the enemy, that's what he wants. He wants you to believe this lie that you can handle this, whatever your this is, on your own. Because he knows the damage it'll do to relationships. He knows the damage that it'll do to you spiritually, emotionally, mentally, to your soul. And the truth is, some of you are reading from that script. I mean, you're reading it every day. Some of you are reading it right now as we're talking. You know, you felt the urge, you know, well, no, maybe I should get up. And he, he, you pull out the script, oh, no, don't ask for help. You got this. You got this. You're good. You don't need help. You, you can handle this. Don't let anybody know that you're broken, that you need help. Come on, you're a man. Men don't need help, right? We pull ourselves up our own bootstraps. I mean, that's kind of like impossible. If I'm standing here and I pull my bootstraps, I don't think I'm getting anywhere, right? I don't even understand that concept. It's a lie. It's a lie. And, and, and here's what I believe and what, what, I, what I prayed for. And believe when I tell you that the enemy tried to uh, you know, attack me this morning and, and, and I needed help. I grabbed the brother and I said, pray for me. I need prayer because I have a message and I got some stuff stirring in me that's not good. <laughs> that's not Jesus-like. And then I grabbed another brother because the first brother wasn't righteous enough. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, but, but, but here's what I've been praying for and that for some people that the day is going to be a big day. That you're going to flip the script on this lie. Some people today are going to embrace a new mindset that they're going to, you're going to, you're going to turn this lie around and, and, and you're, going to, you're going to begin to let God's word, not the enemy's lies, become the script of your life because you can't handle things on your own. Which brings us to the final point in your notes, the script cure for this lie. You see, we were never intended to live this life and handle our this on our own. And I had this truth reinforced to me, not just today, but also on Wednesday. At 9.17 a.m. on Wednesday, my son John sent me a text. Actually sent me, Laurie, Leela, my daughter Chelsea, and her husband Justin. He just said, hey family, need your prayers today. Feeling quite discouraged. We're having a really hard day. I FaceTimed them a couple of hours later and we talked about what was going on. He was doing much better. Obviously, God had heard those prayers because he, he asked for help. And I said, you know, it's kind of crazy. Just like last week, dude, this is fitting into my, my message. And after we talked a while, Micah came home from school, 
preschool. He's so excited about his day. They had a friendship picnic, and, and, and he, he couldn't wait to show me a picture that he had at school of his friends. You see, his first day of school, he's like freaking out, right? You know, anybody that first day of school? He's like, I'd never been here. This is new. This is unknown. I, I think I'd just rather hide in a closet, right? And, and, but things change because now he has friends. And, and so he showed me this picture right here. And, and you can see Micah, and I think Nicholas is like his really big friend, right? You know, and, and, and I told John, I said, you know, dude, I, 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 I didn't call you to work on my message, but I think Micah has just helped me finish my message. Because, you see, you got those friends. And who's that little dude in the bottom right-hand corner? Right? Who's that guy? It's Jesus, right? And, and, and so he, he, here, here's the deal. You can't handle this. You can't, whatever it is. And that's okay, number one, because you have friends. You have friends. And, and that's what church and Christianity is supposed to be about. Having friends, not, not doing life alone, being part of a community where you love and are loved, served and are served, know and, and are known. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves all the time. And you can circle this in your notes. A brother helps in time of trouble. Why? Because you can't handle it on your own, right? You can't. And, and understand, helping each other is church. That's what church is. There's a lot of stupid things in church sometimes that are not what church is. Church is about helping each other and helping the world, right? It's about loving God and loving each other. That's church. Some other stuff isn't. But helping each other, by helping each other with your troubles, each other, right? Each other. I, I like that because guess what? That means sometimes your brother has a trouble he can't handle, and sometimes you have a trouble that you can't handle. You truly obey the law of Christ. You see, helping each other, it's an awesome two-way street. Because sometimes, sometimes you're the helper, and sometimes you are the what? The helpee. I need to drink water here. About to do something special for y'all. What would you think if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ear, and I'll sing you a song, and I'll try not to sing out of key. Didn't happen. I get by with a little help from my friends. I'm going to try with a little help from my friends. What do I do when my love is away? Does it worry you to be alone? How do you feel at the end of the day? Are you sad because you're on your own? No! I get by with a little help from my friends. I'm going to try with a little help from my friends. No future music, and I'm okay with that. And by the way, life groups, which we mentioned, are a great place to meet friends. Not just friends, but spiritual friends. You can sign up, check it out. See, we're creating an image of God. Therefore, you're created for relationships. In fact, needing help with our this from other people was wired into us from the very beginning. Genesis 2.18. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. You can't handle it on your own. And that's okay. Because you got friends. And you have all-powerful helpers. Number one, you have Jesus, who is your high priest. 
Hebrews chapter 4. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for we face all of the same things, testings we do, yet did not sin. Hebrew writer says that Jesus is our high priest, and us is like, okay, that's nice. Doesn't mean all that much to us, but to his first audience, it was huge. Because the high priest was, was the advocate. The high priest was the representative. The high priest was on the people's side speaking to God on their behalf. And the Hebrew writer says that Jesus is your advocate now. That, that, that Jesus represents you. And that Jesus is sitting at God's right hand speaking to God on your behalf. And, and if that's true, well, what does that do to this lie that you're constantly being fed that you don't need help? Verse 15 says, he understands our weaknesses. The Greek word understand, it's this idea that he doesn't just watch from a distance and kind of feel what we're going through, but that he enters into it. That's the idea. It's like the difference between turning on the TV and and seeing starving children in another country and, and being moved by that, feeling that, as opposed to going to that third world country and living where they live and eating the food that they're eating, entering into it. You see, Jesus wasn't up in heaven looking at our struggles and saying, oh, man, I really feel bad about what they're going through. That must be awful. Instead, he entered into it. He experienced what we experience. He knows what it's like. Because he knows what it's like, because he is the high priest and the son of God, what does that mean? Well, what does that truth mean? Uh, uh, What does it look like to live by that truth? Here's what it says. Because we know that truth. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find help. We will find grace to help us. We'll find help, grace to help us when we need it most. So we come there with confidence. We come to him boldly, asking him, Inviting him into our this. Jesus, will you come into, will you enter into our this? Because I can't handle this on my own. Forget it? So we have friends to help us. We have Jesus, our high priest, to help us. And it gets even better. We have the Holy Spirit, a power cleat to help us. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send them to you. In the New Testament, that word helper is the word paraclete, and it comes from two words coming alongside of and, 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 and calling forth. The term paraclete is actually a Greek military term. Greek soldiers fought in pairs, and in the heat of the battle, they, they, would, they would fight back to back, and each man will become the other guy's paraclete, thereby guarding his friends back against the onslaught of the enemy. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete. He, he goes into the battle with us. He, he is our rear guard. He has our six against the enemy. You see, Jesus never intended that, that we would handle our this on our own. That's why he sent you the paraclete is all-powerful helper to come alongside you, to be your rear guard, to renew your strength, to renew your spirit, to renew your hope, to renew your strength, to act on your behalf. 
I brought you here this morning to tell you that you can't handle this on your own. Repeat after me three times. I can't handle this. One, two, three. I can't handle this. I can't handle this. I can't handle this. And that's okay. Because you have friends to help you. You have all-powerful divine helpers, Jesus and Holy Spirit. And, And I don't know about you, maybe, just maybe, we should reach out to others for help more. And just maybe we should more often approach the throne of grace and get the help we need. And, and just maybe we should tap in more frequently to the power of our paraclete. And, and, and as we close, so here's where it gets real, and here's where we determine what script we're going to read from, right? You know, do you need help today? Some of you do. Because you have been living for so long, believing this lie, I can handle this on my own. You can't. You're not supposed to. God never intended you to. And so I I just want to invite you to to cry out to your paraclete, cry out to your high priest, and, and maybe you would like some brothers and sisters to pray for you, right? And come up front. There's no shame in that. Or grab the person next to you. Right? Say, you know what? I mean, would you just pray for me? I, I need some help. This, this, this I'm dealing with is just, is just too much for me. And I'm tired of pretending it's not broken when, man, it's so broken. Right? And, and maybe you're here today, you know, and, and, and you've been thinking that somehow you have to earn your own salvation, that you're not good enough, that, it, that, that you're not even good enough to receive Christ. And, well, guess what? You'll never be good enough. But in Christ, you're made good enough. And we actually have a, a lady today, I, I brought my bathing suit. You know, my nice, nice bright yellow one, right? Uh, you know, Patsy Ramos is going to be baptized today, you know. Because she needs help. She doesn't want to save herself, right? And I just invite you, if you've not made that decision, you want to talk about it, feel free to do that. But we're going to stand and, and we're going to sing a song. And, 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 and after the song, we, we, we respond. If you want prayer, I encourage you just to come up. You're messed up. I'm messed up. We're not perfect, man. I tell you. You know, I, I know that. I, I see that every day in the mirror, right? If you need help, get people to pray for you, right? Uh, we take communion after the song. We give our offering off to the sides. We have these little buckets, compassion buckets, where we drop in a few bucks that helps people in our community, you know, to make a difference, right? That's what we want to do. We want to help people. That's what church is. It's about helping, right? Not about hurting. It's, a, it's, a, it's about helping and, and, and invite you to do that. And, and uh, the song we're going to sing... Um, it's called Never Going Back. Now, and the way I've kind of been singing it this week is, I'm never, the song may not necessarily say that, but I don't care. Um, you know, I'm never going back to living a life thinking I can handle it on my own. It's just too much, man. Seriously. You know, some of y'all, I'm coming for you. <laughs> I'm coming for you. I need some help, right? I'm, I'm coming for you, you know, because I, I, there's things I can't handle that I've been trying to handle, that I've been trying to carry too much of my own, and I, I just, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to go back to that. It, it's, it's not who we're supposed to be. So if you guys stand, I'm going to pray, and then we'll respond right after the song. God, we love you. We thank you for this time to be in your presence. And God, I pray for the hurting people in this room. That's a bunch of us, God, and those who need help. And I pray if anyone feels that they want to come up and just kneel at this altar, God, and pray, God, that they just 
Block out the enemy who says, oh, don't do that. Wonder, people wonder what's going on. God, that's just silliness. They don't have to, but if they feel the urge to, I pray that they do. And God, if anyone needs to just surrender to you and, and accept you as their Savior, I pray they do that. But God, I pray that none of us, Lord, leave this place ever going back to living a life trying to handle all of this on our own. In Jesus' name, amen.